Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Welcome to the Bud Zone. Please give a listen as we talk with our buds in the faith about the present rule and reign of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords in his church and over his world. Greetings. This is just a brief interlude before today's episode. I'd like to welcome you back to the Bud Zone, which is my little podcast that aims to profile some of the Lord's glorious work in building his church and expanding his kingdom. I've taken several months off from the podcast while I was engaged in some other endeavors, and I'm excited to sort of be relaunching it now. I have a wide array of guests from all corners of the church who will be joining me to discuss their respective spheres of responsibility in the Lord's church and in his kingdom. If you have someone you would particularly like to hear from, drop me a message on Facebook. So anyway, thank you for hitting the listen button for today's episode. I hope you'll continue giving us an ear. Uh, This is just a small podcasting endeavor that hopes to glorify the Lord, edify his saints, and provoke us to think in a biblical way. Today, you're going to hear part one of a two-hour conversation that I had with two dear brothers, Fred Butler and Pastor Chris LaDuke. We discuss a number of things, including Christian nationalism and also the response of Grace Community Church to the pandemic mandates. I was interested to engage these two brothers in conversation about Christian nationalism particularly because both of them are theologically dispensational, both are eschatologically premillennial, and both are also graduates of Master Seminary. However, from my viewpoint, they seem to fall at different conclusions on the issue of Christian nationalism, and that intrigued me. So in any case, I think this was a useful and a very gracious conversation. I hope you'll enjoy part one today and come back next week to listen to part two. God bless you. Thank you for listening. And now here is today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Bud Zone. I am greatly honored to be joined by two dear brothers, Pastor Chris LaDuke and the Fred Butler. Hey. Before, yeah, man, before uh, I introduce the topic that we're going to be discussing, I want to have each of you just sort of give a self-introduction. And I cast lots earlier, Fred, and it landed on you. So you get to go first with the, (laughs) who are you, what are you about? So go ahead. Okay, so I am but a lowly mailroom guy who works at Grace to You, and I oversee the volunteers. Um which are like hundreds of grandparents to me and my family. And um, we mail out all of the free offers that people request through grace to you. And then I'm also a social media influencer. 
Lots wow. and lots of people clamor to hear my wisdom and pithy <laughs> remarks on Twitter. <laughs> and, um, I'll get 15 no, listeners in- now, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just live here in California and work at Grace to You and, um, you know, have a family. Five kids are all at home right now from school and all of that. And um, schools, you know, normal schools wrapping up this week and, um, so we're, I'm not sure what we have planned. We got to clean our garage. I know you, that. You got, but I'm just Fred. You got to plug your your blog. Oh well, yeah, but see, I haven't written on my blog. Well, in I was going to chastise months. you over that, but you go yeah, ahead and I put just it don't out have there. Time. I uh, I have a blog that I used to maintain with great regularity when my children would go to bed at seven o'clock in the evening. In the evening, <laughs> I had time to do it. Um, <laughs> called um, hipandthigh.wordpress.com. And you can go there and see all of my archived articles on various topics and that sort of thing. But most of my activity nowadays is on Twitter because it's fast and almost instantaneous. And I've got lots of friends on Twitter that yeah. I no no TikTok to. for you though, right? No TikTok. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not a video guy, so you know I got the face for. Twitter, well, so well we're recording this on zoom which is why uh no one sees it because i only put the audio out and <laughs> if they saw it i know very why grateful for that <laughs> now uh yeah so people can go to your blog and read your theological sure. wizardry uh yeah very good stuff there lots of stuff i would disagree it. with but it is i yes. love reading your stuff because i have to look words up yes and i like that <laughs> All right. Now, and I wrote a book too. Oh, you did write a book. That's right. Yeah. On King James onlyism called Royal Deceptions, which is available at Amazon. Oh, and in a print edition or a Kindle. I can, I can put a link on the notes to this. No, you should do that. That That would be what a blessing. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're here, right? (laughs) All right. Pastor LaDuc, your turn. All right. Well, um, you know, Fred and I go a little ways back. We met back in uh, in Los Angeles, and so um, I went to the seminary uh, some years after Fred. So Fred is my theological elder, my elder brother, <laughs> and uh, not, yeah, too so, mm-hmm. <laughs> not too much elder, not too much elder, not maybe not in age, just in wisdom. Um, so I uh, I moved out to LA to go to the seminary. Uh, when I had a six-month-old, that was my only kid. We're now at four, and she's, uh, how old is she, nine. And so, uh, yeah, I spent a few years there at the seminary, and, and a mutual friend, uh, actually a family in the seminary adopted my family the first year we were there, as many of the Grace Church families do. They adopt seminary families. And so I, I got to spend a few Thanksgivings and Easter's with Fred and, uh, and his family and my family. And so... Yeah, I was there at the seminary for a few years and uh, worked at the church in Grace Advance, uh, you know, Grace mm-hmm. Church's church planting and revitalizing ministry. And then about five years ago, uh, came out to Cannon Beach, Oregon to pastor a church revitalization here on the Oregon coast. So I've been out here about five years or so and just plugging away. I uh, will mention later and get you to talk about the magnum opus that is in the works uh it, it's, well, right it's, it's going to be a monster it's a magnum, it's a magnum dream right now. oh is it okay <laughs> all right well I, I appreciate you both 
uh, taking time to join me. I, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be fruitful, helpful, and fun along the way. So um, I, I want to set the stage for what we're going to talk about with the three of us here. We, two or three are gathered, right? We're here. We are. <laughs> um, Jesus is standing over in the corner watching. There us you right go. I, I don't have any iconography up here, but uh, I, I got some cool prints. But so anyway, being disciplined here. I didn't realize that I was coming before. <laughs> oh, come on! You know, there's a general equity principle behind all this, right? <laughs> um, I, let me. I want to do this and. Then I'm going to pass it over to you guys with the actual topic, but I want to read a couple of scripture selections mm-hmm. stuff, you know, and I don't need you to preach at me. I just want to read it as kind of context for where I would be coming from with this issue, but I'm not going to really be promoting my view on this. I want to hear what you guys are thinking, but the first one is Psalm two. So we got 13, 12 verses. It says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's Psalm 2. The other one is just a single verse, which is also from the Psalms. And that one is, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's Psalm 110, uh, verse 1, which you guys know is the most cited Old Testament verse in the, in the New Testament. So this sets up the topic that we, two or three gathered together, are going to discuss with uh, some edifying uh, encouragement, I'm sure, but, uh, and that's Christian nationalism. It's been uh, a hot topic in evangelicalism, but it's also been a very prevalent topic in culture. Normally when we've seen it, I think in culture, it's been a pejorative aimed at certainly Christians, but anyone on the conservative side, it's, it's kind of come out of the social justice movement as white Christian nationalism, but there is a flavor of it that is not that ethnic based understanding, but it's more Christian in, uh, in approach. So we'll get into that. But as we discussed before we got started, and when we talked about this for the last few days, getting together, what really is interesting to me is that both you guys come from, like you said, master seminary, you come from Mm -hmm. a similar theological background, but it seems, Fred, when I've seen some of your engagement on the issue, in fact, you and I engaged on a couple of mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, we did. I don't even remember what it was. Well, you were defending your buddy <laughs> Owen. So, you you know, you were. Uh, uh, so, my buddy Owen. <laughs> but but you seem to be on the on the con side of a Christian nationalism. And I'm going to let you speak to that. So wait. And, mm-hmm. and I've seen, Chris, you've been really engaged with what's been coming out of G3. Josh Bice, Scott 
uh, any all with some of their commentary and and their observations on it and your stance seems to be more pro with the issue of christian nationalism um so it it was intriguing to me that you two guys coming from a similar theological background have landed and if i'm wrong i'm wrong and that's okay on different ends of this spectrum and that's kind of what i want to talk about and it's going to unveil hopefully some of the issues that are positive and some of them that are negative with regards to the whole topic of christian nationalism but let me i want to set the stage because if i'm wrong i want to get it right so we can talk more fruitfully you guys yeah. would both consider yourselves dispensational is that right yeah wrong? dispensationally ish yeah well you'd be kind of like j mac leakey dispensational yeah. kind of thing Okay. The herm, I'm more concerned about the hermeneutics and the actual dispensations themselves, but that's a yeah. No, topic. no, no. We're not talking about seven years. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I get that. Uh, and Chris, you would be as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I would be be very strongly pre mill. Well, that was my next one. Eschatologically, you're both going to be a pre mill kind of yep. eschatologist. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. Yep. Now, the engagement we've seen from like G3 has been largely not. Um, well, that's not true. Scott and I, uh, Josh Bice, of course, is, is not dispensational and he's Amil. He's Baptist and he's opposed to this. Scott and I, any all, I'm not sure what he is no, theologically or he eschatologically. Is, yeah. He's positing that the whole issue is eschatological. But what I wanted to ask you guys to do is, um, give me your definition of what you understand Christian nationalism to be and, where you stand on it based on your definition. So the lot this time falls to you, Chris. Uh, so <laughs> Fred has time to think. 8,000 words. So we don't, I mean, yeah, but pages, I got, listen, I, they're, they're soon to be putting in um, fiber here and I'll be able to go for hours on end with a recording. So you knock yourself out pastor. And I know you're, you're a preacher, so you can't really, you know, condense this for us and I don't want you to. So, yeah, but yeah, give me your yeah. definition and, and then we'll kind of listen to Fred and, and we'll kind of work back and forth with yeah. where there are similarities, where there are differences. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in one sense, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to punt the ball, but in one sense, I, I don't have a definition. In one sense, what I've done is I've operated within some pre-existing definitions. So um, if we could say it this way, you know, I, uh, I, I was talking about this topic before uh, the book, um, The Case for Christian Nationalism, Stephen Wolf's book came right, out. Right, right. And his book has been kind of the centerpiece, the, the, the pivot point, the point of attack, um, you know, with some of this G3 stuff, particularly in the last few months. Everybody mm -hmm. using his book and then his definition kind of as the arguing point. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, obviously. Um, but before his book came out last year uh this this was already a topic this was already an issue i was already addressing it and so when i was addressing it really there was nobody i don't think um that we you know that would have a, a big name in um in any kind of like-minded way that was really using the term uh appropriating the term to themselves it was primarily a mainstream media 
term. And so at that point in time, you know, if you distilled it down to its, you know, kind of most basic tenets, it was a, it was a, a term uh, and, and you could pull this up, you know, all over the place, but at its core, it was a term that referred to uh, two beliefs, one being that America was originally a Christian nation, and number two, that uh, America should continue to be a Christian nation. And so, in one sense, it's ultimately a, a worldview um, argument, and uh I have a lot to say about that. I won't do that at this moment because I don't want to just go on and on and on. You know, but but going back, say, at 12 months ago before Wolf's book came out, if you were hearing the term, you were hearing it, you know, New York Times, Newsweek, mainstream media was talking about Christian nationalism, uh, you know, go back to the January 6th stuff, mm -hmm. uh, and white Christian nationalism. And so what they were talking about fundamentally was a belief that America was originally a Christian na Christian nation and should remain so. And then when they would affix white to it, you know, obviously there's multiple things at play there. One is the, the, the kind of uh, intersectionality arguments being made, but it's differentiating. It's, it's identifying a particular strain of Christianity. Um, and I would argue pitting it against and I'll, you know, probably get in trouble for using these terms, but pitting it against, for example, black Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you look back, uh, I think the Pew numbers were like 92% of black voters voted for Biden, right? Mm -hmm. that's how, and that's what Biden would get away with saying, you know, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and again, this is, you know, this is not putting all people in one group, but um, it, in many ways, kind of the black Christian um, movement has been Democrat, therefore pro-abortion. And so when you think about white Christian nationalism, what they're saying then is, well, listen, within Christianity, there's, you know, the gracious Jesus-like Christianity that respects everybody's positions and individual liberties and rights. And then there's white Christian nationalism yeah. and white Christianity is anti-human rights, i.e. anti-abortion, anti-gay marriage, anti-trans you know trans and all of these other ideologies. And so it's being narrowed down to a stream. But when you go back to that fundamental, it's it's really those two main points of was, was America a Christian nation and uh, should it continue to be moving forward? So then and so that's what I was originally addressing going, you know, going um, a year ago. And I did a sermon in my series, um, The Universal Claims of the King of Kings, mm -hmm. Part One. And in that, you know, I just walked through. Um, God has has had uh, claims upon the whole earth, um, whether it's, you know, Genesis 3, whether it's the worldwide flood. He repeatedly judges kings and, you know, lifts up kings tears down kingdoms. He's had universal claims. You read from Psalm 2, Psalm 110. You could go to Psalm 148, 149. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Psalms bookends actually with calls to, to for nations and kings to worship. <clears throat> uh, Romans 13, you know, is clear that that these are um, these these servants, these civil magistrates, they're God's uh, servants, right? So yeah. two different words, but so the totality of the biblical revelation is that civil magistrates Wherever they be, they're accountable to God. They're appointed by God. They're responsible to God. Uh, they have obligation to God. 
And so that's kind of what I was pointing out last year is the Bible never gives civil magistrates freedom from God in their governing. So I don't know, I've kind of kind of rambled on here. But on the two points that you've made, all right, just the just those two basic points, which I uh, would agree with, those are the fundamental kind of foundational thing uh, that America, we're talking about our nation was founded as a Christian nation and that it should continue those two points you would concur with. Well, I, I think, um, and that's where you have to get a little bit nuanced, obviously you do. So, so, you know, we talk about, this is where I said it's a worldview issue because go back to, you know, the reason this country exists is because of the declaration of independence. That's, that's the foundation and the declaration, the constitution and the bill of rights are all one, you know, one unit, mm-hmm. uh, separate things, but it's just like the, you know, the, the new and old Testament, you don't separate them. Um, those three. And, and so the foundation of the country is that, is that um, it's, 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 you know, it's self-evident that all men are created uh, and, uh, by virtue of their creation, uh, by their creator, they're given certain uh, inalienable rights. Mm-hmm. That is a Christian worldview. That is not an atheistic worldview. That's not an agnostic worldview. It's not a Muslim worldview. It's not a Hindu worldview. Mm-hmm. That is a distinctively, we could call it Judeo-Christian worldview. Um, but this nation was founded off of a belief that there is a creator God who's created all men equally and invested in them equally certain human rights. Okay. There's, there's no, go back to that time, go back to 1700s. There's no other worldview um, that can make that claim. So the foundation is distinctively Christian. And then you move forward, you know, you've got Supreme Court justices later on declaring that it's, you know, it's everybody knows it was a Christian nation. So by Christian, we don't mean everybody was Christian. We don't mean everybody was Trinitarian. Um, Obviously, you had deists and. um, No, but it it really it would speak to not a salvific standing, but more a civil legal standing how the company well, even even a more fundamental worldview in terms of you know how did we get here why are we here where okay. are we going they recognize that there's a god who's created us he's created men equally and they all have these certain rights and so any other viewpoint than that viewpoint is fundamentally un and anti-american okay. you know you think about so so there's no religious test right to serve in Congress, and, and it is Congress that shall make no law, right? First Amendment, states can make laws, um, but Congress shall make no law. Well, at that point in time, you know, if you don't believe those truths, that there's a God who, who, who created and gave man rights, you weren't fit for office, yeah. because that was the prevailing worldview. So anybody that would come in later and argue against that, you're arguing against the basis of the nation. Okay. All right, Fred? You yes. were lounged back there all comfy and everything. That was not <laughs> no. That was probably making squeaky noises as I rocked in my chair. <laughs> no. Anyway. All right. So what is your understanding of this whole Christian nationalism? Okay. So I think mm-hmm. what Chris is saying earlier about the whole, what was it, 2018, 2020-ish, you know, in that area when you had 
basically a overturn. You know, you had COVID come in. You had all of these things happen um, that basically challenged our country. And then when you had, you know, Trump losing and Biden's, um, you know, a, a regime coming in, so to speak, and they begin to start thrusting um, onto our society uh, by legal fiat, um, all kinds of weird sexual perverse things like sodomy and um you know and, and and encouraging you know these juggaloo makeup wearing perverts to snuggle with kids in the library reading to them and stuff you know people were rightly concerned and normal people were like well look, I, I, wait a minute i don't want to have i don't want to do this kind of stuff and this is totally wrong and against our constitution and again you know what i'm saying it, yeah so I, they so when people who responded to that um essentially began to complain what chris was saying earlier the slur and the slander is like oh well what it is is these christian extremists and they're generally white christian extremists and they're wanting to have a strict christian national um, view of the world and all that sort of thing. Well, no, it's normal people that came from all kinds of different backgrounds, Jews and um, even black folks and, and all kinds of minorities were just as e uh, just as equally concerned as the white Christian nationalists. Um, and they basically were saying, well, you know, no, we need to, we need to ignore them. We need to put them, you know, they're a, they're, they're a threat to democracy because they would sort of pit it against this, um, whole concept of oh well there's this peace loving you know jesus in a bathrobe kind of thing mm. where he's telling everybody you know hey hearts and flowers and love is love and all that sort of stuff which is not true so what they're trying to argue against is christian biblical christianity is what it is because there's lots of evangelicals um, or a lot of believers who are from different backgrounds and everywhere who would be against the kind of worldview that the biden administration the, the leftist marxist worldview that's encroaching into our society uh, is advocating so in that then you had stephen wolf who basically is like well okay i'm going to take that uh, term christian nationalist and i'm going to write a book about it declaring myself to be a christian nationalist which i think was like okay no you don't have to do that um, granted, the society of America was, you know, built upon what would be a general Christian morality in a sense that you had, um, uh, you know, believers who originally came here fleeing from a Christian nation, as it were, uh, to set up a colony and set up various colonies. And from that, you had awakenings and all that sort of thing. And God has blessed us over the years um, because of our commitment to his word and to his law and everything. Um in that though you just had a government that, that was that was formed and fashioned that was based on that morality but i would say that the founders were not necessarily declaring hey we're going to be strictly a christian nation in the sense that you know all other um faiths are going to be put down or all any other kind of faiths are not going to be allowed to express themselves or whatever whatever it might be now christian nationalists like Stephen Wolf and others would say, well, no, 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 we've never, we've never believed that we've never said such a thing, <clears throat> but ultimately it comes to that at some point where you're going to have to say, okay, if we're going to be strictly a Christian nation, then some values are going to have to, you know, come to the surface and this is what we're going to conform to. There's going to have to be a doctrinal 
a, a doctrinal stance to this. If we're going to keep it as just a nominal, hey, we recognize God's moral law. We do. We, we are working from the worldview of we have a creator. Um, he has established, you know, objective moral truths that we need to conform to. If we keep it like that, I mean, that's normal. That's fine. But that's not necessarily Christian nationalism, as I understand Christian nationalism. That's just you could say it's a nominal. Christianity or whatever, because Christians can believe all kinds of different things. Like Chris was pointing out, you had deists and Unitarians and all kinds of folks that were part of the founding of the United States. Uh, every president up until like, what was it? Barack Obama mm. <laughs> claimed to be a Christian of some background, you know, Protestant. I mean, I remember when, well, I don't remember this, but I remember reading about how JFK was all, Everybody was complaining against him because he was Catholic, Catholic you know, yeah. oh, he's going to be, allegiance is going to be to the Pope and not to the, you know, United States or whatever. Well, okay. Yeah. But I mean, he claimed to come from some, you know, view of Christendom yeah. that was the West, you know, as it were. So, I mean, if we keep it at that, I, mean, I agree with you. That's just going back and affirming traditional American values that our country is founded on. Um, I think they've created this concept of christian nationalism and it's just produces more heat than what really it needs to and it gives christians a bad name they're not helping christianity you're just making you know making it look worse in the eyes of other people you know what i mean okay but anyway that's kind of my basic rambling about well it's you know fred it's kind of like you know our literal grammatical historical hermeneutics you know what does a word mean at a given point in time exactly Right. And, you know, the word Trump, you go pre-2016, uh, <laughs> had very different connotations <laughs> it does, than it does 2018 than it does, you know, 2021. <clears throat> and so that's kind of the thing with Christian nationalism. And so you go back, like you said, 2018, 2020, when they're talking about Christian nationalism, they're talking about biblical historical Christianity, right? You can't have right. two men marrying each other. You can't have... Uh, you know, there's no such thing as a as a woman or as a man trapped in a woman's body, except for you know before a boy, before birth. Born. <laughs> right, 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 right. And so, there essentially, that whole movement was just it was a it was a way for a for a for a particular political worldview to label and stigmatize historical biblical you know Christianity and and morality. And so that's that's you know kind of where I was arguing, say you know a year or two ago. Yeah, that's where I would probably agree with you. There's, they were they were using that as a slur to like basically go after biblical Christianity when that's not the case at all. I think what happened is you had individuals who started writing books on this, and they've created this different, you know, chimera if you want or a chimera, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's not necessarily christian and it's sort of their view of nationalism that i would disagree with um I, I would consider myself more of a christian patriot i want to be i'm a christian that lives in the united states and the united states has a specific worldview and a political you know position that it originally came from and that's what we need to affirm and go back to and that has basic morality that reflects the moral law of god that we can all kind of recognize because we're created in his image that makes sense yeah 
Yep. Okay. Well, let me, uh, I know Chris, you've seen this, uh, Fred, I don't know if you have or not, but recently, and it's still in the process of being modified and, and, and changed, I think, but this, uh, statement on Christian nationalism that came out a few weeks ago. Here's what it gives as a definition. It says Christian nationalism is a set of governing principles rooted in scripture's teaching that Christ rules as Supreme Lord and King of all creation who has ordained civil magistrates with delegated authority to be under him over the people to order their ordained jurisdiction by punishing evil and promoting good for his own glory and the common good of the nation. And then parenthetically, there's a couple of dozen, well, maybe a dozen um, scripture citations. And then it goes on briefly to say Christian nationalism is primarily concerned with the righteous rule of civil authorities, not spiritual matters pertaining to salvation. Uh, the desire for a Christian nation is not a distinction from the gospel, but rather an effort to faithfully apply all of scripture to all of life, including the public square. Is that agreeable? Is that problematic? In my opinion, I'm kind of reading through that. There was a lot of contradictory statements. Like I I just don't think you can have your, once you evoke Christian to be your descriptor of whatever you're trying to get across, I mean, that implies certain values and a certain kind of perspective and a certain worldview. In my mind, it's like, okay, Christianity is defined by its book of Revelation, which is the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so while we recognize that the Bible tells us that you have, you know, God is generally sovereign over the world and that Christ is the one who's ruling and all that sort of thing. Ultimately, that's not going to be realized until you get to the millennium. That can't take place right now. Right now, you're going to have magistrates who are, you know, held responsible for their behavior and their actions and all of that sort of thing. But this claim that, you know, somehow they have some kind of allegiance that we, you know, we as Christians, as a church, we would preach the gospel. Um, obviously, if we're going to be involved in civil politics, you would want to have your values reflected in the you know the way you might vote or the laws that you would try to get passed or whatever within our you know constitutional system, you know. But is there going to be is you know, is that necessarily Christian in the sense that you're going to make hey we're going to declare ourselves a Christian nation because Christianity implies a certain belief system. That you know the United States Constitution doesn't necessarily, um, and you know, single out as being the primary, you know, uh, standard for everybody. They gave room for there to be different religious groups, different things like that. But and that's why I have a problem with some of that is because at some point the Christians are gonna. If you're gonna have a Christian, you're gonna have to have the Christian prince you know, that Stephen Wolf writes about in his book, and he's got to have some sort of, you know, convictions and values in which he's going to have to enforce. And that's going to be on, you know, it's going to be declared in scripture as your understanding of scripture, but we can't do that right now in this fallen world perfectly. It's just going to be, it's going to be sinful men, you know, implying these principles. And while they might do some general good things, you know, ultimately, you know, you're still going to have the, you know, the tares growing up among the wheat, and that's left to the Lord to determine who's going to separate and, and when that'll take place. Okay, does that kind of make sense? It it does. I would have Chris. Do you have? 
Yeah, what, comments how on would that? he respond to that? Well, I, I guess, um, I mean, I, I don't have any problems, honestly, with that definition. It's a set of governing principles rooted in Scripture's teaching. Um, yeah. My question is, does Scripture teach this? That Christ rules as supreme Lord and King over all creation? Yes. Who has ordained civil magistrates? Yes. With delegated authority? Yes. To be under him? Yes. Over the people? Yes. To order their ordained jurisdiction, uh, I assume there refers back to the civil magistrate, to order their ordained jurisdiction, yes, because it's a limited jurisdiction, by punishing evil, yes, promoting good, yes, for his own, that's back to God, glory or Christ, his own glory and for the common good of the nation. Yes, I mean, I might slightly tweak some of that. I mean, the common good... Um, Romans 13 is actually for for the good of the Christian in particular. Mm-hmm. Romans 13 for your good, mm-hmm. Paul says. Um, now the what's good for the Christian will be good uh, for the for the the nation. Right. Um, it's always that's always the case. But so in terms of that definition, yeah, I, I'm completely fine with it. And I think uh, just listening to Fred talk for a minute, I think part of the the issue is. How you approach things, meaning, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk with G3 and a little bit of it, even in kind of Fred's last statement about, you know, how do things work um, practically? How does this work? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. And that's a proper place to go. But the the methodology that I've taken, you know, with the, the God and Government series that I've done, and, you know, again, I've alluded to the Christian system a couple times in that series, but, you know, I'm 40 messages in, and I've never critiqued the American system because I've stayed in, you know, what is an exposition of Scripture? And so my first question is not will it work, how does it work, what would it look like? My first question is, you know, what does the Scripture require mm-hmm. what does god require for us what does he require for rulers you know how do we implement that that's another question but what mm-hmm. i wanted to do is figure out what are the what are the universals that are true all places all times no matter what and now um you know you can drop that into china and how they're going to put that into practice um you know in one sense whether or not they can put it into practice in one sense is totally irrelevant because if Scripture requires certain things, um, then if Scripture requires, you know, for the Christian to call his magistrate to repentance and faith, and if you live in a regime in which they will execute you and your your family and, you know, you and your kids and your grandkids mm-hmm. are doing such a thing, well, then, you know, the, does it work? You know, there's kind of a pragmatic answer, and it depends upon how we define work, right? My understanding is we just need to be faithful to what God's called us to do in every sphere and in every country and in every place and every time. And whether or not it, you know, quote unquote works is another issue. Uh, and then that gets into a, it gets into a more pragmatic, okay, how do we put this into practice? Um, and if we're back to the point where, listen, we live in a, you know, Rome 2.0, hey, then, you know, we have very limited tools available to us. Now, we do have the greatest tool ever. Well, I was about to say it. <laughs> <laughs> we have nuclear strength apologetics on the high side of it. Yeah, and so, so, but if you live in a system like like we do in our country, the application you still have that singular great sufficient tool. However, you also have other obligations, right? Because if you if you hold the office of voter, you you've been ordained to hold that office, and you're under divine obligation to exercise mm. that. 
in a way that represents your your Lord. And so um, implementation, maybe in our system, might look different than in another system. And, and that, there's a place for application and implementation of the principles. But first, you got to lay out what are the divine requirements. And I, and I think that mm-hmm. statement, you know, as I read it, um, yeah, it's it's a good summary of of what God what God requires. I mean, I would yeah, and I would say yes, but then I think it's very important what you're saying here is just the the aspect of how are we going to implement that? Is it is it the Christians' obligation to politically push for that in this particular age, in this dispensation, as we might say? Um, or is that something that's going to take place when we actually have the lawgiver here who will exercise a rod of iron against those who are disobedient and will actually go after, you know, unbelievers and pagans and people who would stand opposing him? Uh, like for China, North Korea, I mean, any of these um, obviously wicked, you know, societies, are we prepared as a Christian nation to go to war against them? <laughs> And declare them, you know, to be suspect and do like Joshua did where he was commanded by, you know, God to go in and wipe out the Canaanites. Well, yeah, I mean, some Christian nationalists would say, oh, yeah, we got to do that. That's our, that's our obligation. Is it, though? That's not our and the church is not called to do that right now. That's not what that's not what we're supposed to do. And I think that our as believers, you know, the church is first and foremost is to you know, the Christian nation that is the training them to faith, going out from there and discipling the world and teaching them the gospel. And then as we obviously have an influence of salt and light, you know, we're going to bring about a change in our society, you know, starting at the bottom and obviously working itself up. I, you know, I, as a saved person, be the best car mechanic you can be, be the best dog catcher that you can be, be the one who glorifies God as the mayor of your city. And then if, you know, if that reaches up to the highest levels of, you know, of uh, the government, then, oh yeah, be the godliest president you can be or the godliest senator or whatever. Um, But again, you know, is that going (laughs) to, you know, practically speaking, how does that work out? In where you're going to be strictly a Christian nation in that regard, but where again, everybody's goes, doing that. And it goes back to, uh, but, you know, practically speaking, in one sense, it doesn't matter, right? Because the question is, what does God require? And the thing is, you know, for, for you and I, and um, uh, we got to remember that, you know, and I'd plug Kevin DeYoung's book, uh, you know, What is the Mission of the Church? And he does such a great job reminding us that the church um, is a different entity than the individual Christian. And the job of the church is different than the job of the individual Christian. And the job of the Christians different than the job of the church. And we use those terms somewhat synonymously. Mm-hmm. And if we're not careful, mm-hmm. that can really create a problem. You know, it's not the church's job to love my wife. And um, it's not uh, it's not the church member's job to baptize uh, believers. So there's two different roles. And you know, as a Christian, um, you know, my job is to do things that that's not the church's job. And so, you know, as a if you're a Christian magistrate, for example, your job is to rule on behalf of Christ according to the revealed mm-hmm. will of God, um, not to implement your particular church's doctrinal statement uh, or and to force compliance to that doctrinal statement. Um, but it, it, you know, and so. We just have to be careful not to conflate the role of the church and the the role of the Christian. 
um, which I know you're not, you know, trying, nobody's trying to do that, but it's very easy to say, well, the role of the church in this age or in this country is to do X, Y, and Z, and that's good and true. However, that's only, that's only half the answer, and it can actually, you know, cloud out the other half of the answer, because the Christian has obligations that he's supposed to carry out as well, detached from the church. Yeah, well, what I see, yeah, and what I see with Christian nationalists is that they're wanting to somehow bring that church aspect into governance. And I don't believe that the church has that place right now in any thing because God, Christ is not here. Um, they try to make that. I, was, I saw this. Uh, I had a, an acquaintance of mine. Um, we we're kind of talking about that statement and like point two where it says Orthodox Christian faith. This is where I see there's some kind of inconsistency. We affirm the Orthodox Christian faith as defined by the historic creeds. And the examples I give, the Apostle Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, which the Christian church throughout his, uh, church history has universally affirmed. We deny that orthodoxy is defined by a particular confession. Well, a creed and confession are kind of the same thing. I mean, because you're confessing that Christ is, you know, and saying, but I get what they're trying to say is that we're not going to let some denomination be the one who defines all the doctrine is probably what they're trying to get at. Like you're not going to have Anglicans, you know, like they were in England that the Puro that the Pilgrims fled from. They're going to be the ones that are defining this is how you're going to practice your faith, and in order to be an upstanding, you know, member of our society and of our, you know, community, you've got to like hold to the common, you know, book of prayer, and you got to hold to the thirty nine articles and all sorts of stuff. Whereas the Puritans are like, no, we don't want to do that. So then they fled and you know got persecuted and came here to the United States. But then it kind of reproduced itself here, you know, when you had Baptists come along and say, well, we believe you should baptize believers only and those who confess. No, no, we we don't believe that. So you're going to go into the stocks or get beat or something like that. So they would drive you from the colony. Um, I mean, I get that they're wanting to say that. And they're probably trying to make that distinction. But I mean, as soon as you start saying, hey, it's like kind of like what I was saying before. And once you start putting Christian in front of everything, well, that's implying some certain doctrinal definitions that we need to kind of acknowledge. And we just can't, um, you know, we just can't skirt around that. I mean, and, and allow it to be like, well, you know, I, I, I know I've got my individual things and church has got their things, but I mean, I mean, even as an uh, even as an individual believer, if you're a senator, at some point you're going to have to be defending people in your community. And so, if you have some, you know, Native Americans whose you know, religious rights to smoke peyote or whatever it is comes into play, I mean, you're, are you going to like say, "Well, no, I'm not going to," you know, "my you're a pagan religion, we can't do that." Or are you going to be something? You know, the United States Constitution would protect that to some degree. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're going to have those kind of issues. So where do we, you know, the Christian nationalist has got to determine, okay, so what side are we going to, you know, fall down on here? I mean, I would agree that the bad guy, that the guy who's smoking the peyote for his religious observance, I'm like, okay, you can do that. Just don't kill anybody or, you know, drive a car. Remember, remember, Fred, we're talking about, and this is the other issue that gets overlooked, we're talking about what Congress can do versus what individual states can do. And um, so there's a difference between saying, you know, at the federal level, at the national level, you're going to impose something 
and um, that's that's different well, than that's, what's at the state level. Well, that particular example is, as I understand it, was eventually, you know, um, set up at the federal level because I think that there was a court case that actually went to with regards to Indian culture or something like that, and whether or not that was a protected religious group because the states were arresting those individuals for having illicit drugs or whatever it was. And um, I mean, so there's, you know, but that was not for establishment. Thing. I know, I know the one you're talking about. That was yeah, not, yeah. that was not for the establishment at a federal right, level. Right. Like what Chris is saying, the, you know, the first yeah, amendment exactly. Congress may not, but Congress yeah, but were, must defend what we would accept legally constitutionally yes. as permissible behavior under the laws of, of the land. Yeah. Um, and so that's where you're going to, and I agree with you. I mean, there's got to be have some sort of, is that going to be some, at some point, is that going to be some kind of Christian version of whatever particular denomination that you're going to be? Or, or well, church yeah. And I, I just, I don't think that's, uh, I, I've not seen that from anybody on the pro Christian nationalistic oh, side. I have. I well, mean, you mentioned that in our actors or something, but there are people who, but there may be friends, you know, we remember yeah, there the, is there's probably fringe on every group well i was I'm gonna say saying. independent fundamentalist Baptist. you know so they're out there so but you bounced around a couple of things I, I want us to kind of hit on one of them i want to ask this question because it did come up from the some g3 uh tweets um one of them was and I, you can agree or disagree but one of them was uh, someone brought up to Scott that um, the Mayflower Compact, those men, those women, they came here to establish a colony to the glory of God. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think they cited the whole compact, but um, which is only a paragraph or two. But um, Scott was asked the question, what do you think about that? And his response was, that's completely unbiblical. Is that, no, I don't is that right? What Not is. wrong? I don't know. Well, I don't know if it was necessarily unbiblical. As I understand, the reason why they did that is they did have um, unbelievers on that boat <laughs> with them. There are tears like, everywhere, man. <laughs> yeah, there is. And one of the reasons why they put that together is that there was a position of possible um, mutiny among some of the unbelievers who were just there because of the... Um, the investor who was spending money for this um, and they're running the boat or whatever. So there was like, look, when we get here, we've got to have some kind of set. This is what we're going to do. And so there was an agreement between everybody that, Hey, we're not going to be causing problems and all this kind of thing. I mean, I don't. Okay. I, what Chris means by that. I mean, I didn't see that tweet. Well, it wasn't Chris. It was it was Scott Annie all at G3 that responded oh, Scott, to I mean, it I, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've seen Chris on his name. Yes. Yeah, Scott. I don't know what Scott was trying to get across there. And I, and I, I vaguely remember some of that. Okay. Well, here's another, I don't see it. Chris, do you want to speak to that or not? I have another. I mean, I, to me, that was just ridiculous um, to say that men, you know, drawing up uh, um, a charter, and saying, listen, God has laid out certain things, and you know, if you're going to live in this area, this is what you have to abide by. Yeah. To say that, that that's um, biblically impermissible, I think, is absurd. Okay. Well, I mean, it is. I I would say it's not biblically impermissible. It's just that is an example of Christian nationalism because it eventually became like that because they would deal with people 
he would oppose the charter or oppose. So, so here would be the, here'd be the question then. Here'd be the question, and this is this is a hard one to answer. And I I, I don't, Fred, I don't want to you know listen. I, I don't have a. This is one of the questions I've I've wrestled with. Um, you think about the delegation of authority from God to civil magistrates. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where would we go in Scripture to show? <clears throat> It's kind of a multi-part question that we won't really be able to fully answer, but where where does their delegated authority, where do the constraints, confines, limitations, um, sphere, where do we find that in Scripture, number one? And then, you know, that leads to the, the question of, does Scripture delegate to civil magistrates that they should protect with the sword, uh, you know, they should protect with the sword false religion, blasphemy, those types of things, because that's mm-hmm. the other side of the coin. Have they been delegated the authority to say, I will punish you if you try to punish a blasphemer? Or or we we as civil magistrates have been given the authority by God to create a land and a, and a society in which you are legally free to blaspheme, to, to say anything that you want. Um, has the civil magistrate been delegated the authority to create such a sphere, such a realm, and to, to then to defend that realm by the sword? Has the well, if the if you're talking about a Christian nation, well, let's let's back up. Yeah, in Scripture, does the Bible give us, I think, some basic principles about what, how a civil magistrate should work? Yes. Are civil magistrates doing that perfectly? Well, of course not, because they're sinners and they're fallen. And even if they are might be believers, they're not going to necessarily do that perfectly either. Your your you know your example there of the sword. Are you going to kill blasphemers who speak against? I mean, has God given us that authority to for Christians to go out and you know to like hunt down heretics? Okay, so then we're going to have to defend define. Okay, what defines a heretic? One well, question is what authority <laughs> what authority has the magistrate been given by God and it's kind of the opposite way we normally argue it we're normally arguing does the does the magistrate have the authority to punish this or to prohibit this it right? seems like the, 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 what the what it would be like anything that would be like when it says evildoers is it evildoers that are going to hurt the common good of the society? You know, like the person who's a murderer or person who's um, thief or, you know, something like that. When it comes to blasphemy, now some Christian nationalists today would argue, well, blasphemy hurts this, you know, society and it's it's an evildoer that's doing that because blasphemy is evil. Yeah, but I'm not seeing in scripture where God tells us to go out and kill blasphemers i mean you, you don't have paul saying hey that factious man in titus you basically dismissed him out of the church he didn't say go out there and kill the guy um he's writing in a historical context in which paul is not a civil magistrate and so we're, we're still back to the question of what authority well, then, but, that, civil but, magistrate does, but doesn't paul's yeah. words come to the civil magistrate then at some point uh the, the examples i've seen in history where you have civil magistrates going after you know, blasphemers is like during the Crusades, I think they were the Fourth Crusade, you had Pope Innocent, I can't remember which Pope it was, that basically allowed them to go out after the Abigensons because the Abigensons kind of held to these, you know, bizarro beliefs about um, continued revelation. It's sort of like the 
you know, pre-charismatic, charismatic right, types. That's and, still a pragmatic they, argument rather than a biblical argument. Well, I know, but their what Bible is the biblical Well, the way they interpreted that is that you know you had the Pope or whoever it was was in charge of getting people into the kingdom, whereas the state, you know, there the civil magistrate was this arm to deal with the heretics in the here and now. And that's why he gave his permission to go out and kill hunting down Abigensons and Waldensons eventually at some point too. Now, whether or not they were right, I mean, I don't know, but killing people because they happen to disagree with the Pope. I mean, I just, I don't see that, you know, as something that God has given us as a command to go out and do, you know, to, or any magistrate for that matter, at least right now at this point in time in this dispensation now in a millennium, maybe that'll change. I mean, I don't know. But at this point, I'm sorry, go ahead, bud. No, I was just going to point out at this point, we already have blasphemy laws. They're just Mm -hmm. in the other direction. Yes. You can go out and (laughs) you go say something against the, you know, alphabet soup agenda. uh, And while it's not going to incur, well, it may at some point incur a death penalty on you, not through the hands of the magistrate, but it is being enforced by the narrative of the right the government right now so you've got hate laws there that are blasphemy laws it's the it's the same thing only it's uh, you know blasphemy in a sense that's supporting evil as opposed to supporting righteousness and so what i'm also kind of thinking too is there's also a missed point about how much of this if we, we we understand that the um magistrates have perhaps maybe some particular responsibilities before the Lord, but when the magistrate, when the church is not standing up and doing and preaching a right gospel and because of man's sin on the, in the United States and allowing abortion for half a century now, I mean, if not more by law and just the, just the wickedness, general wickedness of the culture, how much of this is God giving us over to judgment? And, you know, and allowing these things to go unrestrained to where you have unbelievers that are now in authority, you know, persecuting his people. But that uh, basically our obligations. And that's kind of, the oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's I would agree with you. We're still have an obligation to be godly and live as servants unto the Lord, according to first Peter. But, but yeah, but whether or not we're under divine judgment, you know, as, as MacArthur will talk about, you know, Hey, we're, we're under divine judgment. The only thing that's going to fix this is prayer and, and the proclamation of the gospel. Well, in one sense, the only thing that's going to fix things. Yes. Is, is the proclamation of the gospel. Um, but that's not the only, um, that's not the only tool that's been given into the world. And, and so just because we're under judgment, which I would agree with. Yeah, we're, we're, we're there. We're in that final stage kind of, of a deprived, depraved minds, right? They're um, worthless minds, but that still doesn't really change my job. It doesn't change the magistrate's job. It doesn't change the church's job. So, you know, as we, and that's, that's, you know, but as you kind of mentioned, listen, well, but you and I haven't even talked about in one sense, everybody agrees in with theonomy. The question is which theos, right? And so, you know, it's either it's either statism or it's uh, it's a form of Christian nationalism because statism makes the state God, the God, and there's right. no higher authority. Therefore, if the state is not under God, then the state is the one who 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 defines, determines, grants, 
rights, mm-hmm. right? So the state can determine who has what rights, when they get them, when they've been violated, when to be punishing violators, all those types of things. The only other alternative to that is that there's somebody above the state. And so this is really an issue of authority. Who has authority? Does the state have the authority to define and grant rights? Or is the state merely a mediator? And so when you go back to the Declaration, again, the reason governments exist, according to the American system, is to protect the God-given rights. Mm -hmm. Once you reject that, then the only other view is statism, where the state has the has the the right to define all these things and that's the world in which we live in. This concludes today's episode. You are now leaving the bud zone. I appreciate you listening and I hope you'll continue doing so. I also hope you'll share these episodes with others who might be edified and encouraged by them. And just a reminder, no doctrines have been harmed in the production of this podcast. Remember Christ has overcome the world. Go live like it. God bless.